to Resurrection Day service at Boomerang. We just welcome you. We are so glad you got to be here today and we just praise God for you. Amen. We praise God that you're here and celebrating a risen Savior, a risen King with us. Amen. And uh, it's just going to be a great day. And uh, so as we step in, uh, we just welcome you to our Easter service, Resurrection Day service. And uh, we're thankful that you're here. You can turn to Psalms uh, chapter 22. Psalms 22. And we're ready to jump into the message. Are you ready? Amen. Yeah. Pastor JB does this. He goes, this is amen. Amen. And this is a loud amen. Amen. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know, uh, Brother Hagen used to say this. He would say that um, uh, he stepped in front of Keith Moore one day. Oh, I like your shoes. Nice shoes. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Thank you. God is good. <laughs> and uh Anyway, Brother Hagin would say, get excited. When you get excited about the Word is when it works with you. Uh, one of the things that you'll find in the Word is that God is interactive. That God is interactive. In other words, if we just sit there on the knot, like a knot on a log, we're going to get a knot on a log life in Him. But if we will interact with him and be passionate with him, we start to step into and grab hold of some things that God has for us. Um, we need to make sure, like, like this, did you realize that God didn't see anything in Genesis chapter 1 until he actually did something? He didn't see anything. Even God didn't just think, mm. no, he, he set the pattern up for us. He said, I want to see light, so then he spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. And then he saw that the light was good, right? So he saw those things. It's an interaction, right? We need to get this. We need to be on purpose in our lives. We need to understand that there's an interaction with God. And listen, religion has taught us to sit there and, and be a good pew sitter, right? Maybe, maybe, and amen every now and then. Maybe. But that's what, that's religion, God wants interaction. God wants us to be in fellowship with one another, right? Now listen, if I walked into our house, and uh, this is not really the Easter message yet. We'll get started in a moment. But if I, if I walked into our house, and uh, I walked in the door, and uh, then Nicole was in there, and she said, Hey, honey, how you doing? And I just walked in. And I never said anything. Oh, we'd be in trouble. I think my mic is rubbing my shirt. There we go. All right. So if I just walked in, I never said anything, I'd be in trouble. What if we never had any interaction? What if I never gave her a kiss? What if I never told her that I love her? What if I never bawled anything for her? What if I never gave to her in any form? Right? I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. <laughs> she said, you're right. Can I get an amen from this section? Yeah, I thought I might have one. <laughs> so here's the thing. But see, we do that to God all the time. All right, God, I'm going to go through life. I'm never going to hang out with you. I'm not going to interact with you. But you need to do everything. That's a horrible spouse. It's a horrible spouse. And we are the bride of Christ. Right? We're supposed to. It's about relationship. It's about fellowship. That's what it's about. It's about an interaction. It's about something that's real, right? It's about a God that wants to meet us and meet with us where we're at. This is, this is what he's about. He wants to meet you and do something about it. I was just thinking a second ago about, you know, a flyer that we could make up or a door hanger. And it would say something along the lines of, do you have a need? God wants to meet it. See, God wants to meet that need no matter what it is. He wants to meet that. Even if you have a lack or a need for the wrong reasons, he still wants to meet the reason. He wants to fix your reasoning and make that need go away. He wants to do that. 
He is an interactive God, but yet religion puts him on the shelf and, and bows down to him and worships him on a shelf, but really doesn't have any real interaction. Amen. Amen. But it's designed for us to interact. This is why when we praise, we want to, you know, we want to praise on purpose, right? Amen. We want to learn to have that kind of reaction to the things of God. We want to give Him faith. We want to worship Him. We want to praise Him. We want to thank Him. We want to do these things on purpose. And if we're not doing that, are we being a good bride or a bad bride? Right? The Word says that we are the bride of Christ. We want to be a good spouse. We want to interact. I'm going to tell you, if she walked in and she didn't, you know, she didn't talk to me. Well, it's amazing that God doesn't just like smack us from heaven sometimes, right? Because I'm telling you, if she walked in the house and I said, hey, baby, and she just kept on walking back to the bedroom and then she didn't talk to me for the rest of the life, it's only going to last about two minutes. Tops, right? Like that's not happening at our house. We have interaction. We have communication, right? This is, this is it. Why? Well, it's the same thing. The Lord is looking for the same thing for us. We don't just walk by each other. And we shouldn't just walk by Jesus. Amen. Right? Because he didn't just walk by us. He did something when we couldn't help ourselves. He said, I will be what you need. Amen. He said, I will leave my throne. Where I am equal with God, I will leave my throne and come down to where you are. Come up underneath all of humanity and lift you up. That's what Jesus did. And that's what he said. He interacted with us when he didn't have to. He'd have been fine sitting up on that throne. But he said you were worth it. Now how about we get off of our throne and we start interacting with him and doing something for him. How about we, we get off of ours. And we start serving other people. Amen. We start serving him and loving on him. Amen. 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 Glory to God. So it's something that we've got to do. And it's something that we've got to be purposed on and intentional. The word is intentional. The things that God calls us to do is purposed, right? We've got to be intentional in our heart and in our mind and purposed. And, and you know what? Being intentional and purpose, it steps us out of our comfort zone so many times. And that's a great thing because that's the way that we grow, right? A, a few weeks ago, uh, we were talking about healing and uh, Nicole, you know, came up and I told her to play the part. I, I told her right before the service. It's not like she had all week to plan for the stuff. You know, I, you better be ready in season and out of season if you're around me. That's all I got to say. But I told her, I said, look, I said, I want you to play the part of this lady whose daughter uh, is sick. And Jesus is telling her no, so to speak, at that moment, right? And then all of a sudden, so she comes out here and she's screaming, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm like, I was impressed. Like, that was really good, you know? And, but see, what a lot of people don't know, unless you've been here for a while, is when I asked her to say hello to somebody when we first started dating, she broke down in tears so much so that we had to excuse ourselves to another room and we had to have a talk. And I was like... What in the world is happening? Ah! Right? And she's like breaking down because she was so shy and so scared. And yet now she'll get up here and do this and do that. Why? Because she gave herself to step out of her comfort zone to be intentional and be purposed. And now God has raised up something. And not only that, but she enjoys doing that for the Lord. Now, at the time, she wouldn't have enjoyed it. But the Lord has shown her a passion inside her heart to, to let the things of God be released. This is what being intentional can do. It can take you to places that you haven't even dreamt of yet. But God saw in you that there's a good plan and a good purpose. And he wants to bring you up to that place. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Now to get on with our previously scheduled service. Amen. So, Resurrection Day. Yeah. Let's jump into it. Ready? Here's your opening line. Star Wars. This is going to go down as file. <laughs> Judah's like, what? <laughs> file. Opening lines you'll always hear on Resurrection Day. Star Wars. No. But I, there's a, 
you know, they recently kind of rebirthed the series. Uh, and last year they had a, uh, um, like, did I mention Star Wars and you went and got a lightsaber? Is that what that is, George? <laughs> he's, he's got, that's good stuff. In and out of the season. Amen. So they recently rebirthed the, the series. And you've got a whole nother generation a uh, whole nother, that's good English. Um, you have a whole nother generation of fans that are coming up, right? Yeah. You've got a people, the last, when was the Return of the Jedi? What year did that come out in? 85. Thank you. Thank you. Is that right? 85? All right. Awesome. We got a few fans. All right. So in 1985, they come out. Now in uh, 2017, they come out with the next in the trilogy that they're in now. 83? Thank you. Somebody Googled it. All right. <laughs> so now, how long is that from 83 to 2017? Come on, math majors. Huh? 34 years? Was it that long from yeah. Return of the Jedi? Yes. Oh, my goodness. You're talking about a whole generation. In a generation, now see, if you grew up with Star Wars like me, you know, it's like, you're, you're, and you're a fan of it, you're like, yeah, Star Wars coming out. And then all of a sudden, uh, you get into this movie, and you have not only a whole uh, new generation of viewers that are seeing and moving into that uh, series uh, themselves, but you also have this whole group of characters and actors that are brand new. It's a whole new generation. You know, nobody knew who Ray was before last, last year, you know, and if you don't watch Star Wars, don't worry. It's a new character, okay? And uh, anyway, nobody knew who she was, right, before last year. And so in this, you've got this generation inside the movie who's in their 20s. They weren't even born when the last Return of the Jedi came out, right? They weren't, wow, I'm so sorry. And uh, anyway, they, they weren't even born yet. And so think about this. Now, in the story, basically... Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi, he like wipes out the dark side, or so we think. But then 34 years later, like there's this resurgence and, uh, you know, all of a sudden the good guys need to rise up again. But because this time, because it looked like all the darkness had been walked, uh, wiped out, all of a sudden these good guys turned from being so much of a reality into being kind of mythical in the eyes and the hearts of the people. So you're entering into this movie and all of a sudden, you, you know, for the fans, you're starting to piece together and they, they go into the main ship, they go into the Millennium Falcon and, and everybody that's a fan knows what it is. But, you know, Ray, who's the new character, she doesn't have a clue who, what it is. She thinks it's an old piece of junk, right? And then about that time, they come in. I got chills thinking about it now. And uh, glory to God. And so, but you're going to get this. All right, get it. And so then about that time, they run into Han Solo. But they don't even know it's Han Solo. They don't know what he looks like. You know, they're, they're not, they run into Han Solo, who was this big hero character in the first series. I'm catching up everybody who doesn't know Star Wars. Anyway, and so here's this big hero character. They don't even know who it is. And all of a sudden they're talking about it and, and they're talking to him and they're like, are you the Han Solo? And basically what they're saying in context is, are you the hero of the myths? Are you the one of the stories we've heard about, but there's stories, there's so much stories, I don't even know if they're true. They're just, they're stories. Like, are they really, is it really true? And there's this moment where all the Star Wars fans like got chills. And, and Han says, it's true. All of it. It's all true. And it's like, yeah, it is true, you know, and all the fans are excited and everything. So many times with the things of the word, we've heard them, even the world, definitely the devil wants to turn the truth of the gospel into a myth. And hopefully you have a moment, maybe that moment is today, where you realize that everything that's in this word, 
It's not even a movie on the screen. If you can get chills watching a movie on the screen, we ought to be even more so with the truth of God's Word. Because it's not just a story, and it's not just a myth. It's true, all of it. It's all true. All of His goodness, all of His power, all of His mercy, all of His greatness, it's all true. It's all true. He loves you with an everlasting love. It's all true. In Psalms chapter 22 and verse 16, this is uh, one of the things that happened. Here's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Here's a prophecy about Jesus. And it it says this, it says, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They pierced, in other words, they pierced his hands. Now this is a prophecy about the Messiah that's coming. And they prophesy that the Messiah will have his hands and his feet pierced. Now you have to understand that in this Bible, the word of God, which is true... There were over 300 prophecies by multiple people through the ages over spans of thousands of years. There was over 300 prophecies about the Messiah and Jesus fulfilled every one of them. Now, if you understand anything about mathematics, you start to understand that the probability of him fulfilling just a few is very, very high. But the the probability of him fulfilling over 300 is amazing. Now the reason I went to this one prophecy when there's over 300 is it just so happens to be one of my favorites. And here's one of the things that's very interesting. So now when you go go into uh, John chapter 20 and verse 24... John chapter 20 and verse 24, it says this, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Does anybody uh, know a nickname for Thomas here? Doubting Doubting Thomas. That's amazing. How do you know that? Because you've been taught that he's doubting. Now, let me just, if you know that he's doubting Thomas, is is he good or bad? Is doubting good or bad? It's bad. We don't want to be like him. But yet, we wait till we see stuff all the time. And we fall right in with them. But we're not supposed to be like that. Alright, so here he goes. But Thomas, who was called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. Notice there's an exclamation point there. So they didn't just say, we've seen the Lord, right? Their purpose, their intention. We've seen the Lord. All right. It's kind of like that. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hand. Now, isn't this funny? It's like, I mean, I mean, just to think about this. Think about this, right? All right. Um, all right. Let, you're Jesus, and, and you're going to stay over here for a second. You haven't appeared yet. And so Thomas, Thomas is sitting there like, well, y'all might have seen the Lord. But until I put my finger in his hands and in the nail holes and put my hand in the side where it's pierced, I'm not believing. So then Jesus appears. Amen. That was like, I don't know what that was. Anyway, all right. Now Jesus appears and everybody's probably like, ah, right? No, but anyway, they, <laughs> Every, see, we got these jokes. She's getting them. I'm sorry y'all aren't. They're really funny. And uh, anyway, so. Here Jesus appeared, and look, what's the first thing that he says? He's like, here Thomas, put your hand here. It's like, uh, whoops. Like the first thing he says, and the first thing, it was like, he wasn't supposed to hear that, right? But yet Jesus shows right up on the scene, the first thing he goes is like, dude, 
put you, <laughs> right? So Thomas probably like, oh, right? All right, amen, thank you. So then he says to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. What a great word. Do not be unbelieving but believing. This is a call to all believers and non-believers. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. See, this is proactive. Do you realize you can't believe like they're talking about believing when you see it? You have to believe before you see it. This is what faith does. That faith doesn't wait till everything lines up and all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed and everything is perfect and logiced out in my brain. He doesn't wait for that. See, that was another one. Amen. If, if you miss one of my jokes, just see if Nicole's laughing. And laugh when she laughs, okay? All right. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, here he says, don't be unbelieving, but believing. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. So you ought to take that as something. Look, don't be, don't be caught up with the unbelieving. Be a believer. Be somebody who stretches out to believe these things, right? And you don't have to go and believe people all the time because people can miss it. But definitely believe Jesus. Believe Jesus. You know, that moment in Star Wars that made it so great was you had people that were doubting. And then all of a sudden you find this confidence and you get this proof from somebody who was there. No, it was all real. And we get chills over a made-up story. But with Jesus, we can get that same sensation and even greater because this all happened. This is even historical record. This happened. And he loves you. And he died for you. And he had nails in his hands. And so then right here he says, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now, all of a sudden, he believed because Jesus was there. But what does Jesus say? He says, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. In other words, what he's saying is, blessed are they who don't have to wait till they get all the facts lined up, till they put some faith in me. Till they start to believe. Well, if you go back to what we're talking about, about being intentional and purpose. Blessed are they who can walk into a service and even though life has been beating the mess out of them, they can walk in and say, I'm not leaving here the same. Amen. I'm not going to leave here the same. I'm going to leave different. Why? Because I believe in my Lord no matter how I feel, no matter what it looks like, I believe in Him. I'm going to be found believing. Amen? Amen. All right. So here he says, look, touch the nails. And all of a sudden, doubting Thomas puts his hand in the nail prints and in the side. And he fulfills. I mean, Thomas was a doubter. So we know if it weren't there, Thomas would have been like, oh, that ain't Jesus. You know, because he would have enjoyed that. <laughs> but yet he goes, my Lord and my God. He knew this is Jesus because he touched the nail prints. The nail prints that had been prophesied centuries beforehand. Now what's interesting is this, is that centuries beforehand in Psalms 22 when it was prophesied, listen, it was hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. That's an amazing prophecy, which is why I pulled it. There were 300 about Jesus. Over 300. There were over 300 about Jesus. And he fulfilled them all. Now some of you may be statisticians and great mathematicians. And, and I'm not that. But I have done some research on some guys that have been. And this is... Over 300 prophecies, Jesus fulfilled every one. Do you know what the odds of him being the Messiah is? Do you know what odds it would take for somebody to get those prophecies right? Do you know what it would take for him, for one man to fulfill that? It's huge. The number is beyond what we can comprehend. All right, forget 300 for a second. Let me just take eight. Eight prophecies. 
If Jesus fulfilled eight of the prophecies and he met every one, I'm going to give you the low end of the spectrum. There are students uh, that got together that uh, a professor oversaw their uh, project. And they got together and said, let us figure out what this number is. And the number is something like this. It, uh, to fulfill eight. If Jesus fulfilled eight prophecies, it's like one times ten to the 17th power. Now, it's hard for us to even comprehend what that looks like unless you're a mathematician. But it's a big number. And let me put it to you like this. This is the low side of what it looks like. Take the state of Texas. The whole state of Texas. Take a silver dollar, one silver dollar, and stack silver dollars two feet high over the whole state of Texas. All right, that's a lot. That's, that's a whole bunch. That's a heap load of silver dollars. Mark one as the winner. Somewhere in Texas, chunk it. It could be on top. It could be on bottom of the two feet. Start a man at any point in Texas. Blindfold him. Say go. And when you're feeling squirrely, reach down and grab one. And if you get the winning number, that's the same odds of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. And he fulfilled over 300. It's true. All of it. All of it. It's all true. I would say it's statistically impossible for anybody to fulfill eight. And Jesus fulfilled over 300. It's all true. I saw it. I saw it. I, I said that and she goes, yeah, it's true. That's what should be happening. It's all true. It's all true. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Jesus prophesies about himself and he says, Here's the sign that you'll get. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He'll be buried three days and three nights. He'll be buried. Now he's prophesying about himself. He's prophesying about himself. Now look at Matthew chapter 20. And verse 17. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17 says, And Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took the twelve disciples aside by themselves. And on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn, condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge or to whip and to crucify him. And on the third day he will be raised up. On the third day, he'll be raised up. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24. So here's Jesus, the Messiah, the true one of God, the son of God. And even while he's sitting here, he says, look, I'm going to give you the sign. And here's going to be the sign. I'm about to prophesy about myself. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Just like he was in the belly of the fish, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth. But then I'm getting up. He says, look, here's what's going to happen. They're going to hand me over. They're going to charge me with death. They're going to whip me. They're going to mock me. They're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. And then I'm going on the third day. I'm going to be raised up. I'm going to be raised up. 
And then in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to him, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why do you seek the living one among the dead? It's like, you are looking for the wrong person in the wrong place. He's alive. He is not here, but he has risen. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Why are you looking for a dead Jesus? He's alive. He's not here, but He's risen. I'm telling you, it's all true. When the grave was made empty because He was brought back to life, it verified everything that Jesus ever said, that God ever prophesied, every promise that ever would be from the beginning to the end. You're healed. You're delivered. You're saved. You're set free. You're prosperous. You're protected. You're restored. Every bit of of it. It's all true. It's all true. It's all true. The empty grave was proof that everything is said and done, signed and sealed, wrapped up with a bow, ready for you to receive it. It's all true. All of it. Every word, every promise, every goodness, Every mercy, every grace, everything, all of it. You see, if Jesus is the Messiah and he rose up from the grave, it immediately verifies every other promise that God would ever give. It immediately makes it all true. When he said, by his stripes you are healed, it makes that true. When he says, beloved, above all things, I wish that you prosper and be in health, it makes that true. It makes it a valid promise, one that I can put trust in and see the manifestation. When he said that I will protect you, I will deliver you, I will restore you, it's all true. All of it was verified by that empty tomb. Every piece of it was verified by that empty tomb. Because everything was based on him shedding his blood and coming back to life by resurrection power so that we could be resurrected with him and raised up with him. It's all true. Now, you can sit there and you can think, well, that's good for Jesus. He came back to life, alive, but I need my light bill paid. I need, I need this, this health problem to get fixed. I need this lack to go away. I need this fear gone. I need these things gone out of my life. That's the whole point. When he did that, he verified every promise that you can be someone great in Jesus Christ. That he had plans that were better, that were gooder, amen? They, were, they had good plans for you. And God said, I've got good plans to give you a future and a hope. And those plans start as soon as you will receive the truth and believe on it. How about this promise? Well, Brian, that's awesome. But I've been a jerk. Okay. I was too. I've probably done it this week. All of us have been a jerk in some form or fashion at some point. Romans chapter 5 doesn't say that he came... To save a whole bunch of people that were perfect. Oh my goodness, thank you. He came to save us when we were all messed up. 
this promise, if that promise is true and proved by an empty grave, then this promise is true too. John 3.16. Oop, I turned the wrong way. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, that eternal life there means that you get to be with God Amen. for eternity. Yeah. Now, I want to I show you something. Um, uh, David, come here again, please. So let's say that he's God. Stand over there. And see, in the garden, what's happening in the garden? Man, him and Adam, they're like, they're friends. They're buddies. Yeah. They're friends. They're buddies. And then all of a sudden, Adam says, I don't trust you. That's what he said when he took that fruit. I'm going to trust something else besides you. And instantly that connection was broken. And then man was placed outside of the presence of God. Now, Jesus came to restore that. And by the empty tomb, he took all of the junk that we had, all of that sin of rebellion, he cast it off, and that put me available to get back into the presence of God. And eternal life, if you turn over to John 17, 3, don't, you don't have to turn there, but you can look at it later. It says, this is eternal life, that you may know him. And his son. That you may know him. In other words, what that means is that you may have fellowship again. Now I'm telling you, if we're in fellowship with God, what am I lacking? Nothing. Nothing. What is he holding against me? Nothing. Nothing. You see, at this moment, all of a sudden, if I have this fellowship with God, but see, here's what sin does. And here's what us being a jerk does. It makes us forget what Jesus has done. And so we're like, no, I can't hang out with God. No, he died for you to hang out with God. But sin will say, no, no, I messed that up. No, he died for you to do it. Stop doing it. I mean, stop just making an excuse for it. Put it out of your life. Lead to repentance. In other words, move to the place where you change it. But he wants you here. He wants you connected with him. He wants you here so that no matter what it is you face, he's with you. He will save you. He will protect you, deliver you, restore you, make you to do well. And he will heal you. He wants relationship. This is eternal life to know him. And no matter what sin tries to get in the way, repent of it, confess it, repent of it, and get back to this place. Because you are never going to get fixed while you're thinking that you're not good enough. He saw you're not good enough and trumped you with the blood of Christ. He raised you and called your bluff. I see you're not good enough. Now let me raise you the goodness of Jesus. You never, you're not good enough is never going to outweigh the goodness of Jesus. And he said, I gave it so that you could be connected. This is where we're supposed to stay. And in this place, we have no lack. So he said, he gave his son. Thank you. He gave his son. He loved the world so much that He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, but have an intimate fellowship with God. And then he says this. Remember, our whole point is it's all true, including that and including this. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So it doesn't matter when you've messed up and had those moments and you've been a jerk. What matters is what did the truth prove out and pay for you? Oh, I've been messed up. I've been a jerk. Yeah, but his goodness is greater and his goodness will help you stop doing the jerky stuff. His goodness will do that. Today, you know, I don't know where you're at 
But I can pretty much promise you this. All of us have been a jerk to God. All of us have been in that place separated from Him. But it's all true. God loves you more than that. Amen. Let, me, let me read you this last 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let me just show you what this means. Chris, will you come here? Let me just show you. So here's what reconciled to Christ looks like. If, if he's Christ in my sin, I'm not him, right? I'm not on his level. And I'm representing it a lot higher than it should be. But I'm not on his level. But when he reconciled us, it's like reconciling a checkbook. That means that you've got every penny in place. You've made it right. You've brought it up to the right speed. You, you've, you've reconciled everything means everything's in its place. It says right here that God reconciled us. He got everything that was out of place in us, in its place. And all of a sudden, we're able to come up to the level. Now, it should be here. It should be even, right? He brought us up to the level of Christ. In other words, there was no way we could get there, but this is what he did through Jesus Christ. He brought us up to his level. Thank you. <laughs> he brought us up to his level. He got everything in place in our life. And where we were all messed up in sin before, now we can come and have that relationship that he wants because he's made us right. Without his making us right, there'd be no hope for it. But because he has, we've got this. And if he's, we've got him and he's got us, if we abide in him and he abides in us, all of a sudden all these problems, they start to disappear and go away. Because we start walking like we're a part of him instead of walking like the beat up sinner that the devil wants you to think you are. You have a new identity. You're a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ. And it's not that beat up person. Even if you messed up yesterday, you confess, you get rid of it. And all of a sudden you start walking into that child of God status again. You know, this morning, this morning, you know, uh, Easter morning and um, we're, we're kind of beyond the, you know, it's not the Easter bunny, but we stay, so we still like giving presents, right? So Luke comes downstairs and uh, like if the table is Nicole. Um, if that table there is Nicole, Luke comes downstairs and he's like, yeah, right to the, right to the stuff, right? Well, we're like, oh, oh, wait, hold up. No, no, no. This is not about the toys and the, and the sugary things. This is not about that. People are more important than stuff. People's more important. But here's why, I mean, that didn't make her feel good. It didn't make me feel good because I'm, I'm sitting there going, why does he not? We've had this discussion. Why is he still? Well, because he's four, but, you know, we're adults. We shouldn't be having to be told the same thing. All right. But here's the thing. But did we like, oh, no, you ain't getting that. You're never getting another present for the rest of your life. No. But see, we treat God like he's that way. You're never getting anything because you're a jerk and you've done things wrong. You're never going to uh, hang out with God again. And we think like that towards him. No, it was just a matter of second. Okay, did you learn your lesson? Awesome. Go get your stuff. Have fun. Enjoy. Look at it. It's cool. Right? It only, it only took a second. All right, teaching moment. Time out before you go play and get all sugared up. Right? Time out. There is something to learn here. Now go be blessed. Now go be blessed. Amen. This is the heart of the Father. That not, not that when we messed up, like, okay, you messed up once, and now go, go to hell. <laughs> I 
I mean, that's not how the Lord works. Did I just say that in church? It's good. <laughs> but everybody's like, yeah, he said it. You bunch of heathens. No shame on you. No. But no, that's the point. That's what we think God does. You mess up once, go to hell. No. God says, let me help you. I love you. Let me walk you through this. That was not right. <laughs> now, let me show you how to do it right. And now, let me give you a hand. Let me show you how to do it. I'm going to make you right. But I want you to see this. This is not just for the, the believers. He says in verse 19, namely, that God was in Christ. He was in Jesus reconciling the world. Not the church, not believers. He was making the world right to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. He didn't count their trespasses against the world. The world. There's so many people that's telling you that God is so ticked off at you and he hates you because you sin. Look, he does hate sin because he's holy. But he doesn't hate you. He has given his son for you. He's not holding your trans transgressions against you. Anybody in the world, he's not holding it against. Now, that does not negate the spiritual law of sowing and reaping, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. But however, if you find yourself in that position where you have sown the wrong things, get on your face and get in some humility and repent, confess and repent and see the mercy of God in your life. See the mercy of God. In other words, you don't just go through life and be like, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and God will forgive me. Well, who do you think you are? No, that's, that's pride. That's devilish thinking. That's worldly thinking. No, it's I'm looking for any way to get better so that I can look like him, walk like him, be around him more. This is what the love of God can do in us. And you look at him and you say, oh my goodness, you saw all my mess and you still made me right? Why in the world should I do anything else to get away from you? I should do everything for you. Because if it's all true, then it's all worthy of living for and living that way. If it's all true, then it's all worthy of going after. Now, I want you to see this. He says, look, and, and notice that he says, for God so, he didn't say, for God so loved the church. He said, for God so loved the world. All of it. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In other words, now he's given us this ministry. Every one of us, not just the pastor. Every one of us, he said, it's all true, proven by an empty tomb. And the truth is that I love you no matter what you've done. And I want to see you made right and I want to bless you. But now that you have received that, you have a ministry. And your ministry is to tell other people that I've made them right too. Don't leave them in the dark. Don't let them sit there. Even the, with a payment paid. This, do you understand you not telling somebody about Jesus is like seeing somebody in the line at Walmart that's dying of salvation and yet their payment has already been paid but they won't eat because they think that they don't have the money. When you don't tell people about Jesus and tell them that God has made them right, you sit there and watch them starve to death even though somebody already paid their bill. Now, would you do that to somebody in the line? Would you watch them starve to death? And yet, if we sit here and we don't tell them about the good things of God and that God's made them right, we're sitting here watching them go to hell when Jesus has already paid the bill. Yeah. You notice what he says. You have a ministry. You have a ministry. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. 
We beg you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. Be made right. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's all true. When he rose up from the grave, he took all of your mess and he solved it all. He solved it all. He solved it all. See, we look at our mess. Um, you know, a few years ago, I started messing around with the Rubik's Cube and learned how to solve it. And, um, and you know, people watch you do that and they think you're all smart and everything. It's, it's just memorizing a few pieces and you do have to think a certain way, um, as, as Chris and I have found out. But it was... One of the things that's interesting is that once I started solving the original one, uh, the bigger ones are a lot easier. They're a lot simpler. You just apply some of the same techniques. But I can remember thinking before I solved the first one, like walking in, could you imagine walking in and seeing like a banquet table filled with all unsolved Rubik's Cubes? For anybody who's OCD, I'm sorry I just gave you that image. But it's, uh, can you imagine... A whole table filled with those. Like you'd say, this is never getting solved if you didn't know how to do it. Like who's, who's going to do this? And imagine not just like the three by three, but imagine like the 20 by 20s, right? Stuff like that is crazy to even think about. And, and I mean, it takes days to solve stuff like that. Can you imagine seeing like hundreds of those sitting on a table all mixed up? That's the way we look at our sin a lot of times. And yet what happened was when Jesus rose up from the grave, if those represent our sin and all of our problems, and what are our problems? Our problems are we haven't been hanging around him. Our problems are uh, that we've had lack in our life, either a lack of health, a lack of finances, a lack of peace. Right. It's lack is really the, the answer to all that. We got fear going on. We, we've got, you know, family split stuff. You know, we need restoration like, you know, with our siblings and stuff like that. Like we need all this. We need to be delivered from these things. All of those issues are the problems that those cubes represent, all unsolved. But when Jesus came up from the grave, it's like he walked into that room and went boom and every one of them was solved. Your problem that you've been going through, it's already solved. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like you walk in there and the devil puts in front of your face a picture of the past when they weren't solved. And you keep looking at that picture instead of looking at this one. Because it's all true. Everything is solved in Jesus Christ. The question is, do you know it? It's all true.